With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you've never seen it. Sports cards live and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. <laughs> And all right, welcome everybody to episode number 116 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, October the 2nd, 2021. My name is Jeremy Lee. I do want to thank last Saturday's guest, Sam Farber of Golden Auctions and David Rossfully from Guess the Grade. Later tonight on After Hours, our guest is longtime collector and hobby entrepreneur John Beyer from Slab Shelf. Want to let you guys also know tomorrow night on Collectible Live, my guest will be Eric Myers, also known as Howley Hustle on Instagram. He's also a sales team concierge at PWCC. We will go live on the Collectible YouTube channel tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Next Saturday's guest, we have Darren Prince from the Prince Marketing Group. The stories he will be able to tell us will be phenomenal. And Scott Rogowski of HQ Trivia fame and host of Wild Cards on the Network app. I want to shout out, as you can see on the ticker, my guys at the Big 3 Hockey on Instagram. Be sure to give them a follow. I also want to shout out the Sport Card Expo, guys. This is November 11th to 14th in Toronto. I will be there. I cannot wait. And then the weekend after is the Western Canadian show just outside Vancouver, BC. I will also be there. Can't wait for that. Want to make sure you guys are checking out Whatnot, great supporters of the show and want to shout out you podcast listeners. As you know, I really appreciate all of you and all the subscribers and viewers of this show. We whip past 3,800 subscribers. If you are not yet subscribed, please take a second and do so. I would, of course, greatly appreciate it. As always tonight, your comments, your questions are in play. And let's get to tonight's guest. He got his first taste of the hobby, visiting a car shop with his father after going to a Chicago Cubs game when he was 14 years old. He's been a collector ever since and entered the appraisal game in 2007. He's written articles for Forbes magazine. His favorite teams are the Chicago Bulls, Cubs, and Bears. Why not Blackhawks? We'll get to that. His favorite athletes are Michael Jordan, Walter Payton, and Ernie Banks, originally from the northwest suburbs of Chicago, currently hailing from downtown Chicago. Let's bring him out. Michael Osaki, welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you doing tonight, my friend? Jeremy, happy Saturday. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, it's uh, it's my pleasure. It's it's great to have you. And I will let you know, uh, I've let you know, I'll let the listeners know, I am under the weather today. I have been uh, I have been sick for the last couple of days, but I could not, uh, you know, cancel this and reschedule too many shows scheduled ahead. So we are going to power through this and uh, and 
do the best we can. Perhaps we cut it a little short. Maybe don't go two hours, but uh, we'll see how we feel as the uh, as the discussion progresses. So let's get into you though, Michael. Uh, tell us a little bit about your hobby history. Not so much the appraisal piece, but just your your collector angle. Yeah. So as you said, I got started in 1997. At that time, I would go to local card shows, which were typically held on the weekends at, at hotels, uh, Holiday Inn, Ramada Inn. And I would just uh, go up to dealers and ask them questions about the hobby, about cards, and just trying to gain a better understanding of the hobby. Because during the week, I would read the uh, Beckett monthly uh, price guide. And then so like I had that during the week and then on the weekends, I look forward to actually having in-person conversations. So that's kind of how it got started over 20 years ago. Right on. So so then you you got into the appraisal game and you are touted as the lead appraiser for PSA. So what, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. So last year, PSA opened an appraisal division. Uh, they partnered with my company, Baseball in the Attic. And right now, um, if a customer has already gotten a card or an autograph graded or authenticated, they can choose to have it uh, appraised uh, by myself. There's an extra fee. Um, and that's where the appraisal um, part comes in. Pretty soon, I think next month or maybe by the end of the year, it'll all be streamlined on the PSA card website. And for new customer or, or for new um, entries, when a customer wants to submit something, they can just check a box and say, yes, I want this to be appraised. But right now, it's just for already uh, previously graded and authenticated items. Okay. And so how did you manage to form this uh, this partnership with PSA? So this was um, a discussion that uh, PSA and myself have been having for many, many, many years. Um, so this wasn't something that just came about during the pandemic. What would happen is a lot of times um, the retail customer would get their items back and they would have no idea what the value was. Um, so it, it kind of made sense to have someone like myself um, come in and opine on the value of PSA graded items. Obviously, the appraisal service is not for everyone. If you're a dealer, you probably already know what the items are worth. But on the appraisal side, not only can the customer learn of what the value is, Additionally, they can take that appraisal letter and submit it to their insurance carrier to be properly insured. So I think that's an important value add there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. I want to get into the appraisal business because obviously you've been doing it longer than you've been working or had this uh, this PSA partnership. But uh, let's just go ahead and say hello to, uh, we have Adventures with Troy. Uh, happy to do it, Troy. Great to see you. Al Godet, good evening. Birds on the bat, what is up? Latrell, what's good with you? Bobby Baseball, always great to see you. Global, you're the beautiful human. You are, you are. Jeremy S., good evening. Studio, always great to see you. Chrissy Buckets in the house, what is up? Skeppy in the house, good to see you. My guy Yamwax, awesome to see you, Yam. Anthony George says, always the best guest and best content. Does anyone else wait all week long for Saturday? And I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, Troy agreed. And Jeff McMahon says hello. Good evening, Jeff McMahon. Great to have you on board. James Fertetta, good to see you as well. So let's get into the appraisal business. Like, and you know, how how do you get how do you become a sports card and memorabilia appraiser? When did it really start for you? Well, back in the day when I was going to card shows and I was questioning these dealers, at the same time, I would see people approach these dealers with 
these duffel bags or briefcases full of cards and the dealer would make an offer to the person. Okay. For the whole briefcase, I'll give you five grand. And in my head, I was like, well, so the dealer is obviously going to make some money, but he's kind of appraising it, right? He's telling you what the value is. And I thought that there was a conflict of interest. And as I would walk through the show, I would see this uh, situation repeat time after time. And then weekend after weekend, month after month, year after year. And I was like, wait a second. There's thousands of people involved in this industry, but there's no one appraising who's independent and telling people what the values are. And that was like my aha moment. So basically you're, you're at the shows, you're seeing these dealers appraising the, the car. I mean, I do this all the time at a car show when I'm there set up and someone brings me cars to sell me, they want you to kind of make an offer. So you have, you're inherently, you are appraising their cards and then you're, whether you keep it in your head or you say it out loud, if it's a cash offer or a trade, you know, you've always kind of, and you kind of always have a couple numbers in your head, right? You have the trade value, you have the retail value, maybe the liquidation value, all these sorts of things in your head. So you saw this going on and you thought to myself, basically, was this, was your aha moment that all the people bringing the collections to sell were at a disadvantage? I thoroughly believe so, Jeremy. I really did. Um, and that was proven, like I said, time and time again. And so Back then, you know, I was a young kid and still in school. So there was nothing I could do to become an appraiser, right? I had to go to school five days a week. But um, that that situation always stuck with me, you know, and I knew I wanted to be part of the hobby. And I was unsure, like, how I would make my inroads. And I quickly learned that was going to be my path. And so did you action on that when you were young? Like, you're, you're in your teens and you're at these card shows. Did you... Did you start appraising way back then? Not as a teenager, no. But when I got to college, uh, at nights on the weekends, I started doing that. And then, uh, you know, so what would happen is after my after school, after my classes, I would pick up the phone and return phone calls and return emails and just try and help people uh, really understand the values of what they had. And it was interesting, Jeremy, because the, some of the conversations I had were exactly some of the things that I had been seeing for years where people would tell me they would go to a huge card show and they would go up to a bunch of dealers and they would say, okay, I'm going to give you X amount of dollars. And then there would be questions. Well, the person would say, well, how much money are you going to make? You know, what percentage like, you you know, so uh, I was like, yeah, I think I'm on the right path here. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. So you become you become a formal appraiser. You, there's, you have the actual qualifications. There's a regulatory body. Can you speak a little bit to what that looks like? Like how, are, how, what qualifies you? Yes. The appraisal organization is called International Society of Appraisers. And they, they um, credential and certify all different types of appraisers, um, art and jewelry and coins and dinosaur bones and what have you. Um, one of the biggest part, biggest things about being a certified appraiser, besides having the repetition and the skills to correctly identify, understand what's in front of you, is the ability to actually formalize an appraisal report because there's different objectives that people need, meaning sometimes people want an appraisal for donation purposes. Sometimes they want something for insurance and the values that have to be included for in those two types of scenarios are vastly different. When it comes to a donation, uh, 
we're dealing with fair market values, which is essentially current auction values. Because if something was to be donated, let's say the Cooperstown Hall of Fame, and the person is going to get a tax write-off, the fair market value um, is what we need to go by. But with an insurance appraisal, we deal with retail replacement values. And what that, and a lot of times those values are inflated because we don't know at some point in the future when a claim is going to be made. We don't know when the fire is going to destroy your house, when the flood is going to destroy your basement, when someone's going to break into your house and steal something. So that's why retail replacement values can be slightly higher than um, fair market values. So you must have seen some cool things during your career so far along the way. I want to get into hearing a few stories you may have there. Before you do, I want to say hello to, we got overtime grading in the house. I think he means to say hello, boys. Tom Bullard, good to see you. There it is. Hello, boys. Two messages down. Steve Tingwall, good to have you. Troy says, so true to have your cards appraised and insured. Home insurance has little or no coverage on sports cards and collectibles. Tiger Jordan, good evening. Best show in the biz. Happy I can catch live. Happy to have you live and appreciate that, Tiger Jordan. Anthony George, also known as Kyler Murray Gems on Instagram, says, who wouldn't want to be able to pick the brain of an appraiser? Amazing. I haven't seen this before, but Jay Lee always pushing the envelope. I appreciate that. Anthony George. So tell us some stories, uh, Michael, about uh, some of the things that you've, you've been able to appraise uh, over the last few years. One thing I'll preface it by saying is, you know, I see these incredible items at auctions month in and month out. Well, I know where some of the best material is buried and will never, ever be auctioned, will never, ever, you know, be in the public eye, which I think is incredible. Um, just a couple of months ago, I appraised probably one of the best baseball card collections out there. It was over $30 million. Um, but as far as some of the stories go, so for many years, I did a lot of public speaking engagements. Of course, in the past 18 months, there's been no public speaking because of COVID. And I was outside of Boston, Massachusetts, and a gentleman and his son came up to me after I was done speaking, and they had a signed Babe Ruth photo. And as you know, Jeremy, Babe Ruth signed a lot. Uh, his, his stuff, his autograph today is always in demand. There's more demand than supply. So a signed Babe Ruth photo could be four or $5,000, maybe a little bit more depending upon what it is. Uh, anyways, so I told the guy four or 5,000 bucks and he goes, oh, that's it? And I said, yeah, you know, that's it. And it was kind of busy that day. I had to get back to the airport and uh, he goes, well, Michael, look on the bottom right-hand corner. There's a date. And I look and it says August 16th, 1948. And I jumped up out of my chair because that was the day that Babe Ruth passed away. And I said, you mean to tell me that this might be the last ever signature of Babe Ruth before he passed away? The guy goes, yes. I said, prove it to me. The guy takes out like his satchel, his like a duffel bag kind of thing and throws all these papers on the table. I go, sir, I'm in a rush. You know, I have to go back to the airport. Just tell me. He goes, I'm trying to show you. Long story short, on this guy's wife's side of the family, there was a priest. Well, that priest was Babe Ruth's priest. And the babe was in the hospital in New York for a couple months um, because he was sick with cancer. And I think when he was on his deathbed, uh, he knew that day he was going to pass and called in the priest. They had their last words, and he signed this thing. Uh, he signed the photo. So it was incredible. Um, so that's just one story. And, you know, I have a ton of others. Think of another one in the, in the background right now while I ask you this. So you appraised a $30 million collection just the other day. 
is that the most valuable collection that you recall appraising? Is it by, by far? No, 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 no. I've appraised uh, more valuable collections. Have you ever appraised collections for celebrities, for athletes, that sort of thing? All the time. And they are very interested in a donation appraisal because for them, uh, they, if they if they have something that's worth a hundred thousand bucks or two hundred thousand bucks, which to me is a lot of money, but for them, maybe they're worth fifty million bucks. They want the tax write off, so they'll I'll do a, a I'll fill out the, the IRS form eighty two eighty three. They'll submit it to their lawyer, their CPA, look at the tax write off, uh, and then they'll donate it to let's say the football hall of fame, baseball hall of fame, whatever whoever it is, um, and so. Yes, I still do a lot of work with athletes and celebrities for sure. That, that's pretty cool. Any names you could share with us or is that uh, confidential? It's confidential, unfortunately. I would love to, but, um, you know, these people want to make sure that they, you know, keep their you know, stuff private. You know, I, you know, I got, I got asked just, just, sure. in case, just in case. Any other stories pop into your mind of cool thing? Like that Babe Ruth story is, is a really cool, uh, cool uh, story that you could share. Anything else pop into your mind? Yeah, years ago, I met with an older couple. They were probably in their early 80s, uh, and um, they had a complete 1915 Cracker Jack baseball card collection. So there's 176 cards in that set, and there's a Joe Jackson card. There's Christy Mathewson, Honus Wagner, yada, yada, yada. And uh, after reviewing all the cards, I said to them, um, you know, I, I said to them, I, I never asked this question, but I'm going to ask you this question. What do you think the value of this collection is worth? And the reason I never ask people is because people always are going to say, oh, it's worth 10 million bucks. It's worth, a, you know, a billion dollars, you know, some crazy number. And they go, ah, we think it's worth about 2000 bucks. I go, no, 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 you're way, way off. And the guy and the husband looks at me and says, well, I think we'd be happy with like 500 bucks. I go, no, 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 you're way off the other way. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, this collection is probably worth $75,000, $80,000. And the husband and the wife look at each other, okay? The husband looks back at me and says, listen, young kid, we've had a rough week. The last thing we need is someone like you to lie to us about our baseball card collection. <laughs> I said, sir, you got 80,000 bucks. You may need to hire an off-duty security guard or a policeman with a gun to escort you out of this building. And then he looked back at his wife and they started to cry and they hugged each other. It was, it, it was, a, it was a special moment. That's a nice feeling to be able to enlighten somebody that, uh, you know, especially if the money was, uh, was significant to them that, hey, you've got, a, you got, a, you got a, a windfall here for sure. Have you ever... Have you ever brokered a deal? Like, have you ever, you, you give an appraisal, do, do your customers or clients, do they ever say to you, so, okay, thank you, Michael, for appraising this. Now, what can I do with it? What do you recommend I do with it? Do they ever ask you that, take it to the next step? They do. And I usually don't like to engage in that type of service because, again, I feel like there could be a conflict of interest because there's, let's say, a dozen different auction houses I could refer them to. And if I only refer them to one or two, you know, it's like, well, then what's wrong with the other 10? Um, but what I will do is if they say, you know, we're looking to sell this, uh, I will tell, I will give them the best options, meaning private sale, traditional auction house, eBay, something, you know, so like I'll kind of give them a general understanding of how they can best monetize it. But as far as giving them a name, 
of an auction house or a person, I don't really like doing that because I just feel like there is some sort of benefit to me. And I, I don't like that. Well, let me probe that a bit because I'm thinking to myself, you know, you are actually in the business of lead generation for some of these auction houses. You're not actually, but you, you, you could be. So what's, what would be wrong? And I'm asking this, this is a legit question. I don't have an answer in mind, but what, what's wrong with you forging a relationship with an auction house and, you know, receiving some sort of commission if they, cause everybody wins, right? The auction house wins, the client wins, you win. If you can help these people uh, move, you know, convert these, these collections into cash, which is what, where, where they may need to be at that point in their lives. Is, is there, I understand the, the, the potential conflict of interest that you're thinking, but is it really that big of a deal? I, I, I pose the question to you and to, and to the chat. What does the chat think sure. about it? I'm curious what you guys out there think as well. Um, sure. You know, I guess it's possible I could, but in my opinion, I think every collection could potentially go to a different auction house. For example, if I see a bunch of Michael Jordan items, I, I know in my head where that collection should go versus a 1952 Tops baseball card set that could go, that should go somewhere else. Um, and so I guess technically I wouldn't need to forge relationships because I know of all the auction houses. I could just say, go here, you know, go there, go there. But one, one thing that's really interesting, all the years of doing this and appraising a little over two thirds of my appraisals are never for sale, will never be for sale. Meaning people need it for estate planning purposes. They're going to donate it to their kids, their grandkids. They're going to, uh, you know, do something with it other than sell it. So um, it, it's not like that happens all the, that question doesn't happen every single time I do an appraisal because most of the time the stuff is never for sale. Do you know the total, like, do you track the total value of all the appraisals you've done, like back to a certain point, or maybe you started documenting it a couple years ago? Do you have that number? Um, I have it probably in, my, in Salesforce. I track everything in, in Salesforce. That kind of helps me. So what, what's your, what's your estimate of the total appraisals you've done? Uh, you mean as far as fees paid to me or like the total like value of the, of the items? The latter. I wouldn't ask you how much you've made in your career, but I'd ask you how much you've assessed. Um, I mean, it's got to be close to a hundred million bucks because, you know, I just did one for well, well over probably, I don't know, maybe. Well, and the funny thing is, right, most of these collections have three to four or five X in the past 18 months, right? So a collection, you know, I'm thinking about a collection right now, I appraised four years ago for five million. That collection might be, 50 million today um with some of the yeah. card you know so it's hard to you know because all because everything's going up yeah for sure let me ask you this like the last year and a half has been obviously we've seen an upward trajectory in the values overall of of quality pieces you know collections have gone from being worth i don't know fifty thousand to five hundred thousand dollars now has that been a boon for your business it's been huge because what happens is uh, if the collection was, is $50,000, people are content with keeping it in their safety deposit box or maybe in a safe at home. But when we're talking about 500 grand, that's real life changing money and people get scared. I'm telling you, people are scared. And so uh, people panic. I go, Oh my God, what do we do? And a lot of times people think that they can just, 
call their insurance company and get a rider or use one of those uh, cheap insurance companies that you see at some of the shows. Well, you could, but I'm telling you, when push comes to shove, when you file a claim, you might be SOL because I see it time and time again. Um, you know, and I do a lot of work with with all the biggest insurance companies, uh, Allstate, State Farm, Chubb, Age, you know, but some of the lesser ones, there's a lot of problems because people only pay whatever it is, 30 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month. And then they submit a claim and nothing's documented because you, what happens is you tell them, I have a collection, it's 500 grand and nothing's been line item. It's just one big dump. Um, so you have to be careful with that stuff. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, good. We got some great questions coming from the chat. So I'm going to go to them. First of all, with respect to that, you know, with you sort of uh, being, elite, you know, forging deals or, or, or connecting clients with auction houses. Let's see. JC says perceptions matter in this business. Even the whiff of improper behavior can taint or tarnish your reputation. Um, and then I saw a comment up here. Uh, no, not that one right here. Steve Tingwall says, does a conflict of interest even mean anything in this hobby anymore? There's certainly several perceived conflicts of interest out there, uh, most definitely. And then I want to go up to right over here. First of all, say hi to Rich Frank. Hi to Chad. Uh, Mark, great question. He says, if fakes and counterfeit cards get past even the most experienced graders in the industry, how often do you see them guess, get past appraisers? What kind of liabilities do you face with that happening? Yeah, it's a great question, Mark. Um, a lot of the things that I see are vintage in nature. And it's, in my opinion, fairly easy to detect some of the forgeries or reprints uh, when it comes to like a 52 tops Mickey Mantle. A lot of the um, modern cards um, are what are kind of what's getting past some of the graders or grading card companies. Um, and that's really not what I um, see a lot of. Okay, great. And then uh, Anthony George says, uh, imagine being the guy who has to tell someone their prized possessions are fake. I mean, that happens to dealers at card shows all the time, though. Maybe not prized possessions, but, and maybe the people bringing them to you are trying to, you know, slide one past you anyway, but uh, definitely not not fun to, to have to do that. Jordan Rivera says, have you ever appraised or seen a case of 86 Fleer basketball? No, never. And Canadian sports card collector, what is the process of appraising a one-of-a-kind item? Yeah, that's actually what I spend a lot of my time doing. People call me with these one-of-ones, like a one-of-one Kobe uh, Bryant logo man or whatever it is. Um, and I have to back into a dollar figure or, you know, a dollar figure for a variety of reasons. Um, so um, it's a little bit different for everything, depending upon if it's a ticket stub versus a card versus an autograph. Um, so there's really uh, no set path across, but um, it can be difficult. It, it, it really can. Um, now sometimes if it's, uh, super difficult or if I think it's going to take an ungodly amount of time, meaning I have to look at what I'm doing from a financial perspective for the client. So I charge a set hourly rate. And if I know it's going to take, let's say, I don't know, 10 hours, but I don't, but my gut tells me that the item isn't worth X amount of dollars. And I'll just tell them, you know what? I don't think it makes sense to have me appraise this item because it's going to cost too much money uh, versus what the item is potentially worth. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Jeff Hart says, how did you get started to become an appraiser and also build up the knowledge base? So we did cover some of this at the beginning, but maybe speak to the build up the knowledge base part. 
Yeah, that's another good question because I've never worked for a traditional auction house. And really, that's how a lot of people get started or got started in the hobby, in the industry, learning at auction houses, writing auction descriptions, feeling, seeing, touching. Um, so what I would do instead is I would go to as many card shows as I could and look at the items, smell the items, touch the items, ask questions. I was People probably hated me because I very rarely would buy anything, but I would just like touch everything and look at everything and take photos. And then I would go back home at the end of the day and I would like compare pictures and see, wait a second, you know, I saw this card and I felt this card. They're the same, but that card felt weird. So maybe that card's a reprint um, because it was too, it was too smooth or something like that. Um, but that, so that that's really how my knowledge base uh, got started. All right. Very cool. Uh, Joe Perot, good evening. Aloha. I believe you're on vacation in Hawaii right now. Hope you are having a great time. Definitely. Drake's PC. Great to see you as always. Uh, Lucky K, in general, how much is it to insure a $100,000 collection? Is there a general rule of percent per 10K or 100K? Is that something that's in your wheelhouse, Michael? No, um, but I, I have seen uh, in some chats people do talk about that. So I don't get involved in the actual, you know, how much an insurance company will charge you for to have a, um, you know, insured. So unfortunately, I just don't know. Can you? So how much does it cost to? How much do you charge to uh, appraise a collection? Like, is that something that you you can talk about on the show tonight? So I charge a flat hourly rate, and that's the only way to do it, in my opinion. Because what happens is, and I remember years ago there was an appraiser that was charging based on percentage. Well, that's no good because you, you can artificially inflate the value of the collection and then you yourself can make more money, right? If you say, okay, I want, I'm going to charge you 10% of the value and you value the collection at 5 million. And so you're going to get 500,000 bucks. No, that's the wrong way to do it. So the only way to do it is just charge for my time, a flat hourly rate, regardless of what the collection is worth or not worth. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that keeps it keeps it pretty fair. Uh, good evening, Spurs cards. Luigi says, is it harder to authenticate a players whose autographs have evolved over time? Uh, yes, uh, but don't forget, I am a certified appraiser and not authenticator. Now, I do I do see autographs every day, you know, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, what have you. Um, but yes. Uh, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, just like you and me, our autographs have changed over time. Most people's autograph changes over time. It gets more shaky, uh, maybe less flowy, maybe bigger. So I would say in the vast majority of signers, yes, it does change. Yeah. You're right. When you say that our autographs change, I mean, you, you see players' autographs change, you see your own autograph change or signature. Um there, there was a period of time where I had to, I was, I was signing like 30,000 tax returns and um, there's Whoa. no way you can sign your whole name. And so w when we see all the, uh, the criticism and I'm not saying it's not justified when these guys you're, they're getting paid for the autograph and I had to do it just as a function of my job, but uh, you'd sit there and just sign, sign, sign. It's like you, you get to, you get to a very abbreviated version of even your initials um, when, when it comes. So if I was, if I was someone who had to sign my autograph for, you know, for money, I think people would be pretty disappointed in what they were going to get, but I understand that. So listen, you have, um, you have a background in finance. How, how do you apply that to the hobby? We're going to move a bit, a little bit away from the appraisal. If anybody out there, if you guys have any more questions about appraising, uh, the business Michael is in, 
feel free to put them out there. Here comes one right now from Bradley. We'll, we'll, we'll get to this one first. I'll give you guys a few seconds here. Get some more questions out there if you'd like, and then we'll move on to the next subject. Bradley says, what's the biggest autograph collection you have seen? Quality, quantity and value. Um, quantity would be a couple thousand. I think maybe it was 2,127 autographs across all sports, Hall of Famers and non-Hall of Famers. However, I will say the vast majority were Hall of Famers. And just because you have a Hall of Famer, it doesn't mean it's valuable, right? Like a, a Duke Snyder signed ball is not that very valuable. Um, and then the second question was value. Um, and this guy also had a huge card collection too. Um, so the value was millions of dollars for everything. I don't remember the, the breakdown or the break off between the cards and the autographs, but I do remember the quantity. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what, so how long did it take you to, like, how many hours of work is it to authenticate or sorry, to appraise a couple thousand autographs? Well, I had to fly there, obviously, to be in person, and I was there for uh, three days, so working like nine and a half, ten hours each day. Um, but then the the hard work is actually when I return home to my office and actually start to assign values to everything, right? Uh, being in person, just looking at the condition, um, taking photos, um, you know, maybe seeing if there's COAs attached to the items and, and whatnot. But um, so it was, yeah, about 30 hours on site. And then everything um, might have been another 60, I think it was maybe like close to 90 hours for everything. It was, it was a very large collection. And when you're doing a collection like that, do you sort of sit there and put all the autographs into different piles? Like these are the $100, these are the $500, here's a $1,000. And then the bigger ones, do you kind of do it like that to save time or is every single item logged and reported on? Um, so every item is logged and reported on. However, as I'm going along and I see something that's not valuable, that should not be included, I'll just throw it or I'll put it like in a basket or a bag or a box. I'll say, okay, this is the box of the items that uh, will not be included in the report because the value is essentially nil. Okay, that makes sense. All right, next question I want to ask is right here, Jeffrey Hart. What are some examples, or sorry, what are a couple examples of the best vintage unopened material you've seen? That stuff is hard to find, but uh, I've seen some uh, 1974 tops, unopened case, a 1975 unopened case, which is, that's a big year. It was Robin Young's rookie, uh, George Brett's rookie, Jim Rice, Gary Carter. Gary Carter. Yeah, um, so 75 was big. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anything unopened from the fifties, um, sixties, some packs. I don't think I've ever seen any cases from the sixties, but, but packs. Yeah. All right, great. Okay. So let's get back to that. Then you, you have a finance background curious. How do you, how do you apply that to the hobby? I mean, you, you do your appraising, you do your collecting and you're a hobby participant, just like the rest of us are. How, how do you apply that to your approach? I apply it because I've seen so many cycles and I'm really good at understanding panic and panic is important in the stock market, but it's also important in our market, Jeremy. So when there's a sense of, of panic, um, you know, that could, that means something, you know, that, okay, well, if, so if the panic is just starting, is this the top or if it's kind of close to the end, is this the bottom? And 
that's important for me as a collector because I'm an appraiser, but you know, sometimes maybe I want to buy something for my collection. You know, I collect you know, 33 Gaudi cards and Cracker Jack cards. And so it's important to know where we are in the cycle, right? It's like buying a stock. You could buy a stock because you think it's uh, at a discount, 10% off. But if I know the market, the general market's going to sell off 10%, well, then buying that stock at 10% off is actually not good at all. So I look in the in the sports car market too. Okay, well, all right. Well, since February, the market sold off a lot. But if I think the market's going to sell off even more, then even though there's a discount today, maybe I should wait eight weeks because it's going to be even cheaper. And do you actually act upon that? I do. I, I yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. I want to. Okay, we're going to follow up on that in a moment. But a couple, a uh, couple more questions on the uh, appraisal side of things. Uh, Canadian sports card collector asks, had anyone ever disputed an appraisal that you've completed? Surprisingly not. However, there were two um, disputes, not on the appraisal. Uh, so, well, there was two. One woman, was, it was a Babe Ruth signed ball. And the family told me this great concocted story. Uh, and I'm not going to share it with you, but it was this long story on how the ball was obtained. And I took one look at the ball and I said, this ball was not signed by Babe Ruth. I don't know who signed it, but it wasn't him. And, you know, this ball, the same story was told to the family over Christmas every year to 30 members of this family. So when I told them it was no good, uh, they thought, you know, what the heck I was doing. Um, so I told them, I said, listen, the ball is no good. And, you know, I'm not going to do an appraisal report because there's nothing to do. And I'm not going to charge you any money. And so still to this day, they're upset because at me, because I told them that, that, that this ball was not real. Shooting the messenger, right? Not nothing yeah. you can do about it. I uh, like Rich Frank says 90% of his collection would be in that box of, of worth nothing. <laughs> Lucky K, uh, thank you for reminding everyone to hit the like button. I appreciate that. Luigi says, when you assign value, do you factor in geography where the collection may be sold? No, but it's actually... Uh, it's, it's interesting because years ago, there was an arbitrage play, right? You could uh, buy, let's say, an Ernie Banks signed baseball in St. Louis and then sell it in Chicago um, because obviously people in Chicago want Ernie Banks uh, signed balls because they're all Cubs collectors. Um, but no, uh, th that never comes into play. And what about this? Rich wants to know, what about inflation? Do you, do you consider that in, the, in the today's rate or the future? Uh, no, I, I don't consider inflation um, because there is an effective date of the appraisal, meaning I do a home inspection and I write up the appraisal report and I have to include an effective date that the values are assigned for. So we don't know what's going to happen in a year from now, six months from now. Um, they could be up, they could be down. So the answer to your question is no, I don't include inflation. Yeah, I didn't think you would. It's going to be as at the certain the, the time, right, for sure. And plus, you don't know what's going to happen with inflation either. So uh, Matt Jones says, another great guest and Saturday night show. Thank you, Matt Jones. So back to uh, back to your the way you kind of look at the market and the way you time the market. Funny where you don't use that when you are doing appraisals because you can't. It's sort of against the whole uh, foundation of doing an appraisal. But you do time the market. Tell us about the prediction or the statement that you made back at the end of October of 2020, what was going on in the hobby or one of the niches within the hobby? Yeah. So Pokemon cards were really, um, everyone was talking about Pokemon and 
what I posted to my Instagram post on October 28th was, uh, this is the top of the Pokemon uh, card market. And additionally, I said that pretty much virtually all Pokemon cards are going to sell off between 50 and 75% from here on from here. And one of the reasons, uh, and there actually were many reasons why I, I, I made, made that call, but one of them is being an appraiser for many, many, many years. I talked to different people every single day. There was the entire month of October, October 1st through that call on December or October 28th. Not a single person that month that called me wanted to talk about baseball cards or football cards or basketball cards. All they wanted to do was talk about Pokemon and how they can get these Pokemon cards graded. I don't think I, I don't think I got a single call about Pokemon in the prior six or seven years. And here we are this one month. I'm getting no calls on sports cards. It was all Pokemon. That to me was like, okay, this bubble is going to pop. So you can, I, I have your post uh, ready to go. I'm going to share it. Okay. Just so people can see what, what you posted because it's sort of just evidence that, uh, that you, that you did that. So this is posted on October 29th, 2020. And I remember that time Pokemon was very hot and you're, you're saying, do not buy them. They are in free fall with no bottom in sight. Most will sell off 50 to 75% from the peak. And, uh, and then it looks like some people are, were questioning you. I don't see that. I can't drill down to the comments. And, um, and you know, you stood by it. So what happened after that? Did, did what you say came true? Did it free fall? Like, and, and where did it kind of, if it was at 100% of value, where did it land? Some of them sold off 80%. Um, with the exception of the 99 Pokemon Charizard PSA 10, um, that uh, actually went up. But even a PSA 9 sold off drastically, double digits, everything uh, sold off a lot. So I have two more here. Um, talk about the end of January 2021. When there were the when the Michael Jordan PSA 10 sold for seven hundred and twenty thousand dollars on golden auctions, and um, I'll let you talk about it, then I'll show your your post. Yes, so on January twenty eighth or 29th of this year, Golden sold those two Jordan PSA tens for seven hundred and twenty eight thousand. Now, before that sale, I think the prior sale was maybe three hundred and fifty thousand. So literally. It went from 350,000 to 728 in a matter of a few weeks. Additionally, I learned, because I think Ken Golden maybe did like an Instagram chat, he sold two more privately at that same level. So he sold four of them at 725,000. And being that I have a financial background, we uh, that is what we call a blow off top. Uh, like that basically means game, set, match, the party's over. And um, so, yeah, I posted because people were, uh, me being in Chicago, people wanted to buy Michael Jordan cards. And I said, no, 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 no. This is not the time to buy. This is the time to sell. So you accurately predicted, because right here you say, 86 Fleer MJ, PSA 10, sold for 720. The card has gone up too quickly. Look out below. And I mean, and then up here you say, this card just sold. In fact, two examples sold. Uh, for the same price at auction. This is the definition of a blow off top. Look out below. So, I mean, you called it. That was the top of the market. At least it was very close to the top of the market. And um, 
you know, it's one of those things where you must kind of be like, well, told you so, but I wish I didn't have to. Is like, what, what goes to, how do you feel about that post? Listen, at the end of the day, I'm a collector. I own cards myself, right? So I want them to keep going up, 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 right? Because that's, that's great. Um, but nothing goes up forever. No stock goes up forever, even though seemingly some stocks do go up, but eventually when they go down, it's hard and it's fast. And just like in the stock market, it could take a year, 12 months for a stock to go up, let's say 80%. Well, it can erase 80% in two days in the stock market. Well, guess what? In our market, the same thing can happen. The, um, the sell-offs are much harder and faster than they are on the way up. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Um, oh. That's already off the screen. Okay, a couple of comments here. Uh, Latrell Sprewell wants to know, have you ever appraised a Precious Metal Gems green basketball card? Nat, call me. Uh, no. Nat, call me, right. <laughs> uh, Matt Jones says, I guess we need to follow his Twitter. I'll put that back up in a minute. And Steve Tingwall says, okay, you've pointed out a couple tops of the market. Do you see anything that still has some run in it right now? Um, yeah, so I usually what happens is at, at the National – we see tops that happen at the national and then we kind of sell off for the rest of the year. But this year is a little bit different because of COVID and what's been going on. So I think the national might've been a bottom in, in some of the um, cards. And I think that's important to know. Um, I think now some of the um, you know, top tier cards, top tier players uh, might be a good time to buy because um, some of those prices have been depressed for, well, I guess since February. That makes sense to me. I think a lot of people kind of called the the national as maybe being a, a, a kickoff point again. And it seems like things are healthy. We've got lots of, we've got a big golden auction going off tonight. We've got uh, the PWCC premier auction start that just started and then they're going to their monthly. So lots of, uh, lots of action in the landscape right now. And also the, the memory lane auction here, they I've got this, uh, this catalog from them just the other day. And uh, this thing ends on October the 9th. So lots of amazing pieces, being auctioned i guess we'll see a lot of uh a lot more comps being set in the very near future here do you ever buy from do you ever buy at auction house very rarely and when i say rarely maybe once every couple of years yeah yeah where do you do most of your buying well i don't do a heck of a lot of buying now just because i'm so busy with the appraisals um but um you know sometimes especially here in chicago someone will give me a call and say, hey, Michael, I'm not interested in an appraisal. I just want to sell this. I kind of know what the value is. I'll make me an offer and I'll make them a fair offer. And that's usually how, how I get some of those cards. All right. And Timeless Cardboard says, is there a card or item that took your breath away? And great, Joe. Thank you, Timeless Cardboard. Um, well, I definitely think that Babe Ruth uh, signed photo from August 16th, 1948. Definitely. As I said, I you know, jumped up out of my chair. I, you know, I just couldn't believe it. Um, but some of the other like, like vintage stuff, um, like, a, like some T206 cards with some rare backs that always kind of just blows me away. Cause I see so many T206 with the common uh, Piedmont or sweet caper all backs. But anytime I see like an ooze it or, you know, some of those, I just got like, or drum. I'm like, Whoa. And the, the, the Babe Ruth autograph that you think might have been the last one he ever signed. What was the appraisal value that you uh, assigned to that? 
Yeah. So he asked me, he goes, so, so is this photo still 5,000 bucks? I said, no, and this was, you know, years ago. I said, it's definitely six figures. I said, you know, it's going to be worth at least 200, $200,000, but I don't know because what's going to happen is at auction, people will step over each other for, you know, this item. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Um, you, you told me a quick story. I want you to share this with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, the audience. We have a few things we're still going to get to everybody. We're probably going to not go as long as usual just cause I'm under the weather and, uh, we are going to still have another episode with John Beyer from slab shelf. We'll probably start that in about 20 minutes or so, but, uh, but for you, Michael, um, I have my, my Timus, these, these Timus Solani game use gloves that hang behind me. They're hanging behind me all the time. Um, I sent you some pictures of them. I even have a photo, uh, a photo match sort of document that came with them. I sent it over to you, and um, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna wheel a free appraisal out of you here at, at zero dollars per hour. So, um, are you, are you in a position to to appraise my my game worn Timu Solani gloves? And for anybody who doesn't know, if you don't know who Timu Solani was, he's one of the, one of the best hockey players of all time. He has the record for the most goals in a rookie season with 76. The most points in a rookie season with 120 something, I believe, and uh, one of the most beloved players of all time, just for his personality. Really, really great guy. And um, these are actually worn from, I believe, his second year in Winnipeg with with the with the Winnipeg Jets. He went on to play with the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, won a Stanley Cup in 2007. You can just see the the wear in these things. I don't know how long he wore them for, but definitely a while. They're both signed, but they're in silver, so you can't really. There, you can sort of see that one there. You can't really see them, but they are both signed. Well, there, that looks okay with the light bouncing off them. So uh, I did send Michael some pictures the other uh, earlier today. Michael, are you in a position to uh, appraise these? And I got my fingers crossed. I think his nickname was the Finnish Flash, and I believe he was the uh, Finland team captain in 2002 at the Winter Olympics. Now, in, in something like this, and I think someone asked a question, so how do you appraise something where maybe there's no comps or even no recent comps? Well, he played on the Winnipeg Jets from 92 to 96. What I did find is one of his teammates, Hall of Famer, Keith Kalchuk, uh, game-used gloves, and he played also from 92 to 96, as I said. And again, Hall of Famer, last year in December, two pairs of Keith's glove, game-worn gloves, um, also signed. Uh, so one sold for like 650, one sold for 770. So about 700 bucks. I did find a pair of Timu's, uh, ducks game worn gloves that were also signed and that sold for 350 bucks, uh, about two years ago. So I think your gloves are about yeah, between 600, probably 550, 600 bucks, somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. That's that's lower than I was expecting, and I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because so Keith Kachuk played for the Winnipeg Jets too, but he was not loved at all. Because what happened was when the Jets were packaging themselves to be sold to Arizona to the Phoenix Coyotes, they had to get rid of one of those big contracts, and they decided to trade away Timu to Anaheim, and they kept Keith Kachuk, and that was kind of the wrong move at the time because Timu was just a, a much better player and Kachuk doesn't have the best reputation as being kind of like a you know the a player that people were like where Timu does Timu's very much well loved uh, amongst all the sports so so knowing what I know I would I, I I would take what you said and I would just maybe 
chip it up a little bit, not a ton, maybe by 10 or 15%, just because I think that Timu would, would garner, here I am disputing your, your, uh, your, right. Disputing your appraisal. But, um, but again, it comes down to what's it worth to you too. Right. And, and do you ever have that happen where you assess something and someone says, well, okay, great. You say it's worth 750 bucks. I think it's worth a thousand and I'm not, you know, not that you care if they say that because you're doing it for specific reasons, but how often do you do you get that sort of response? Like the one I just gave you where it's like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but maybe they want to add a bit more information or that sort of thing. Well, most people inflate what they have. Most people think that what they own is worth more than it is, just like their automobile, their home, whatever, their art. Um, sometimes, you know, I'll give an appraisal, let's say it's a thousand bucks and someone will say, well, it's worth at least 1200 bucks to me. And I don't really know what that means, but I guess that means that they're going to, you know, keep it or, you know, I don't know. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me <clears throat> to Jordan Riker's comment. Yeah. I would love it if you'd send me some, uh, some soup. Finish Flash, that is right. Anthony George says, very good episode. We'd love to see one-tenth of the stuff you have. Maybe the best job in the world, for sure. Here we go. If Kachuk is 700, Solani is 1,500, in my opinion. I mean, I kind of, yeah, Kachuk isn't the best comp for Solani because they're so different. But, but hey, I'm not going to argue. I'm just going to have my own thoughts, of course. Uh, and then, of course, Steve Tingwell calls me out and says, Jeremy being that guy, yes, of course, of course. Um Josh Packham says, does an auto on a game-worn item take away from the value when you appraise it? Uh, no. Um, in fact, a lot of times it could increase the value um, depending upon who the player is. But, I mean, a game-worn anything is is pretty special. I think that's actually one of the pinnacle of sports collecting is to – I know people love their cards – but to own something that's game worn, whether it's a glove or a hat or a jersey, is pretty special. And to have a signature on it, um, that's special too. Yeah. Okay. Good. Because I, I think the question stems from a lot of people have said that game worn items, you know, you want them the way they were on the ice, and they're not autographed on the ice. But to me, it just adds more to it. So I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, Bobby Baseball says, many of us were watching Jeremy's Sports Cards live that evening when we all heard about the Jordan blow-off top memorable night in the hobby. It definitely, <laughs> definitely was. Frank Schneider says, Michael, do you use any experts in your appraisals? Like if you run into a group of game bats that you were unfamiliar with. So being affiliated with PSA, uh, if it's a bat, I would call John Talby in New Jersey, who's the PSA bat authenticator. And if it's an autograph, uh, Kevin Keating or Bill Corcoran, who are the... Um, two of the best uh, PSA authenticators. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Lucky K says moving forward, do you see SGC or CSG graded cards closing the gap to PSA values? I'm also assuming that the appraisal is based on the brand slab. So it's really difficult for me to, to you know, I, I don't know about SGC or CSG. Are they going to close the gap? Um, but one important piece of data that I have that, Jeremy has, and that everyone has, who's at the National, if you walk past the booths of HGA or SGC, who wasn't grading, or CSG versus PSA, you would see this huge line at PSA versus maybe no people, like zero at some of the other booths. Um, so I think that's important to know, right? Um, and then the second question here is the appraisal is based on the brand slab. Um, yes, of course, but 
most of the collections I see are raw, not even slab. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Okay, great. Thank you for that. Uh, Jeff McMahon, I believe Kachuk is in the Hall of Fame, actually, but uh, thank you for the compliment on the Timu gloves. I, I, I got them from a guy in Winnipeg myself. And Troy says, what does Michael collect and what is his grail not for sale item? I tell you, but I have to kill you. No, uh, <laughs> I, I, I collect vintage, uh, vintage baseball primarily like, um, here, let's see, what, what do I have here in front of me? Like a, like a, a 33 Gaudi Babe Ruth. Um, oh, just nonchalant. Well, this one's cool too. This is a, uh, this is like the Holy Grail of football cards. Oh, wow. The, the Bronco Nagurski. Now it's a two, obviously, so it's at the very bottom of the scale. But um, those are some of the items that I collect, just old stuff. Well, those are two amazing. The Broncos, an amazing card. That's a Mount Rushmore card. So, I mean, that that's unbelievable. I wasn't expecting to see those. So, thank you for showing those. Uh, Jordan Riker says, "I'm late to the party, uh, Michael. If you could change something about your job, what would it be?" Oh God. I just wish I had more time, um, you know, which is not a bad thing because I love my job. And someone, I think it was Anthony earlier in the comment section, said that I have the best job in the world. And yes, I agree. Um, but at the end of the day, there's only 24 hours in a day and I'm only one person and I can only see so many people in a given day. Um, and that could be an issue sometimes. Yeah, time. Not that you can change that, but uh, maybe, maybe, uh, take some time management courses or something like that right okay tell us about um tell us about halloween in your neighborhood this is a cool story guys that i know about he told me about this but i just thought this was something worth sharing you don't hear this from everybody tell us about that so as you said at the very top of the introduction i grew up in the northwest suburbs of chicago so i grew up very close to michael jordan and I grew up in the 90s, right? So, oh, my God, talking about being a Bulls fan, a Michael Jordan fan was special. And so we would go to Michael Jordan's house for trick-or-treating. And he, well, not him, but someone at who, who was there, I don't know, a housekeeper, someone would give out the best Halloween candy. And when I say the best, I mean like full-sized candy bars, not like the little baby roost, full, full-size, right? And on, so on Jordan's gate... Um, is a big 23 because that was his number, 2-3. And so obviously, like you knew, like that was his house. It's got the big 2-3. It's littered with trees. You can't see behind it. But there was a huge, always a huge line of cars waiting to go trick-or-treating and see that year what the Jordan household gave away. And without fail, every year uh, they took care of the people who uh, did uh, partake in the trick-or-treating. That's pretty, that's pretty neat. Hey, who doesn't want to go to Michael Jordan's house for Halloween? Okay, I want to go to Chrissy Bucket's comment here. Without looking at collectible, how would you value a Michael Jordan game-worn signed rookie jersey? And I guess this is like a process sort of question. Yeah, um, it's difficult because depending upon who the player is and, 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 and team and sport, they're issued different amounts of jerseys per year. So, for example... Uh, in baseball in the 50s, you were only given four jerseys per year, two home and two road, and that was it. And then at the end of the year, they were given down to the AAA affiliates for use. In this particular case, MJ, game one rookie, it's very difficult. Um, yeah, I, I do think Chris is right. I think there is one actually trading on the secondary market um, on collectible. Um, but 
in my opinion, in order for me to value it, I would want a Jersey expert to look at it before I came in and gave an appraisal for it. And then you would go from there based on whatever they said about the piece itself. Yeah. And is a lot of what you do based on comps, like historical sales of similar items, same or similar item? You know, I wish it was. I mean, comps are important, but a lot of the work I do are, you know, have no comps. One of one or uh, let's say uh, a special signed ball. So that hasn't, you know, and even if there's comps, don't forget, the whole market has changed in the past 18 months. So the comps, anything that's sold, you know, up until last 18 months is, I shouldn't say garbage as it relates to comps, but everything is now many multiples higher. So Chris, uh, Chris is saying, say a number. He wants a number. We want a number. Can you, can you, can you put in an estimate on a, a, a Michael Jordan uh, autographed jersey? Uh, off the top of my head, no. I'd have to see it in person, see pictures, see what it looks like, see the tagging, the stitching, the use, all that stuff. All that stuff. Fair enough. We're not going to put any more pressure on you to give us a value on an item that is not in front of you. Um, okay. Uh, and then we're going to go to this question here from Jordan. Are there training programs or degrees designed specifically to prepare somebody to become an appraiser? Unfortunately, there isn't, right? Um, and that's not great. That's not a great answer for Jordan here, but people don't go to school, whether it's high school or college, to becoming a, a sports appraiser, right? There are no, you know, there are no sports appraiser schools. Um, yeah. You just have to get your hands dirty and really take in as much wealth and knowledge as possible. All right. Fair enough. Okay. So let's, let's change topics now and talk about, it's kind of funny. Well, funny, it's ironic. It's coincidental, but uh, you're also working with collectible doing some content, doing a show with them. Um, tell us a little bit about how that came about for you and what you're doing uh, for them. Yes. I started that show about maybe 11 or 12 weeks ago. Uh, right. I think the first show was right after the national, um, and uh, that came about. Um, I talked to their CEO um, and we had a nice conversation and um, content for collectible is, is very important. And they thought someone with my expertise would really add value to um, the people that invest in collectible and the people that trade on collectible, the people that look at their content. Um, and so I also thought it made sense to have a weekly show uh, it airs every Wednesday on the uh, on the Collectible um, YouTube channel, um, so feel free to check it out. Yeah, check it out. It's called what What's It Worth, I believe, right? And you yes. basically people call in with items, and you help to uh, to appraise those items. And I think you do have a bit of an insight uh, before as to what these things look like and that. So it's kind of funny that we're both we both are are doing content with and for Collectible. So kind of neat. Now, based on the stories you've told us. It, it seems to me like, you know, we know Ken Golden now has a show coming out soon called The Golden Touch based on his experiences. It seems to me like you should have a show, too, or you could have a show, too. I mean, you, you're seeing a lot of these things. So um, do you, are you going to have a show? Are you going to have a bigger show than Collectible than, than uh, what's it worth on Collectible? Yes, it's going to be next year. I'm working with the Chicago Cubs and the Marquee Sports Network, which is owned by the Chicago Cubs. It's going to be a weekly show uh, that will air on the, on the Marquee Sports Network channel. And um, I'm excited for it. I'm gonna be a it's gonna be an appraisal show. 
going to be appraising all different types of things, going to be talking to Cubs Hall of Famers, um, going to be out and about in the city. It's going to be fun. That That's cool. And uh, are, are you are you excited about this? I mean, you, I could tell in your voice that you got a little bit excited. I mean, it's one thing to have a, a, a show, a content show on YouTube and that, like, like we're doing right now. But it's another thing to be on a, on a network that's going to reach, you know, thousands, if not millions of people. Um, what, what's that like? I mean, I, Ken Golden must be pretty excited to be getting a show on what we think is going to be a major platform. Um, how do you feel about kind of taking that next step? And as for, you know, how will this impact your profile in the hobby, your profile in society as the, as the go-to appraiser in this space that is blowing up right now? Yeah, I'm very excited. And it, it became very real this week because all week long during the Cubs pregame show, they started showing the segments that I taped for them months and months ago. Those segments are currently on the Marquee Sports Network uh, website. Um, and so seeing myself on the Marquee uh, Sports Network during the pregame show, um, it really hit home because up until this week, it's been talk. I did tapings. It's been more talk, more tapings. And now it was actually on the show. I'm seeing myself. I'm getting feedback. Um, it's been incredible. And yes, I, I am very excited. Yeah, that's really cool. Congratulations on Thank that. You. Here's a question from Spurs Cards. If a client has lost their collection, has an insurance company disagreed on the appraisal value and in turn your client received less or any similar stories like that? Um, yeah, so if, 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 a, if I appraise a collection and the client submits the paperwork to their insurance carrier, I, I never have any problems. The problem is when a client doesn't have an appraisal and submits something to their insurance carrier, and then there's a flood or a fire or whatever, uh, that's usually when the insurance company and the client um, kind of butt heads. And obviously one doesn't want to pay much money and the other one wants to get paid a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. I want to shout out. That's going to be my buddy, Rich Barone, the mayor of Canada. What is up? Even though he lives on Long Island. Good evening, Rich. Good evening to you. <laughs> JG says, <laughs> making me cough. How are you? <laughs> you can read that for yourself. Very funny. JG and Jordan Riker. We might end with this one. Would you rather throw out the first pitch at a Cubs game or be the guest singer for take me out to the ball game? Guest singer, take me out to the ball game. Yeah, hilarious. Right on, right on. Troy says, help Jeremy out. Please help that hit that like button so we can continue to get these great Saturday night live streams. Thank you, Troy. And Anthony George, also known as Kyler Murray Gem, says, Jay Lee and J.A. Adonde. He's a big sports card guy. I don't know how to say it. Need to have a show together. I honestly think we will. I honestly think he will have a spot on one of the ESPN's channels soon. I don't know if you're talking about me or J.A., but uh, either way, thank you for that comment, Anthony. All right. Anything else you want to talk about, uh, Michael, before we uh, before we end this? And uh, we're going to have After Hours with John Beyer from Slab Shelf coming up uh, shortly after this show. Anything to finish off? A really quick uncollectible next Wednesday. It's an all-Michael Jordan show. And I am going to be appraising a 97MJ John Belia PSA 10. Golden Auctions right now tonight has one closing. I think last time I checked, it's at 50000 for PSA 9. I'm appraising a PSA 10 next week. That'll be cool. So check that out, guys, on the Collectible YouTube channel. Both of us do work with them. 
And of course, I'll remind y'all that uh, my show on Collectibles YouTube channel is called Collectible Live. It's on the ticker right now. We are going live tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern. And uh, my guest will be Eric Myers, who's a well-known hobbyist in the space. So check that out, please. There's Rich Perone with his actual name. Great to see you, my guy. I miss you. I hope you will be at the Expo, guys. Don't forget the Expo in Toronto, November 11th to 14th. The Western Canadian Big Show. This is a great show. Just outside Vancouver is the weekend after. Uh, so make sure you guys, if you're in the area, you can make it. Come down. I will be at both those shows. I cannot wait. John Beyer, if you are watching, listening, we are going to go live in about 10 minutes or so on After Hours. So I will see you in the back room of that studio. That is Studio B. We're in Studio A right now. Everybody else, <coughs> I got through the whole show without coughing, pretty much. Thank you for joining. Michael, final comments to you, and then we are done. Jeremy, thank you for having me. It was a blast. I hope you feel better soon. Look forward to speaking with you again in the near future. I, I appreciate that. <clears throat> Pleasure to have you as well, Michael. Everyone else, there we go. There's John Byer. He will be with us. We will be going live very shortly, everybody. So thanks again for joining. Thank you, Steve Tingwall. Thanks, everybody, for your great comments and questions tonight. For Michael, hope you enjoyed this. I feel like you did. That is great. Give me about 10 minutes or so. John and I will be back on the same channel for after hours. We'll see you then. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.